Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Dave Leff, President and CEO of Leff Construction Design Build in San Sebastopol. P with a pole, right? Isn't it Sebastopol? It's pronounced Sebastopol. Pole. In California. (laughs) 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 Have you given any thought to your exit strategy? It's never too early to start. Dave is just two short weeks away from closing on the sale of his company, but he explored the different options for five years before ultimately determining the direction that proved the best outcome for he and his employees. We'll hear his story in just a minute. 60% of the time, it works every time. What are you people? On dope? Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hey, good to see you back in the studio. Yep, I know. It's nice to be back again. Yep, I don't like that remote stuff, although it's not horrible. You know, it's actually better than I thought it was going to be. Well, it's easier for you and I to do our shtick here. Yeah. And And I I can control your sound a little better, so it's better for me. Yes. So we got a great topic today, one that is of serious interest to so many people. Yes, it's pretty good. Where? What's the name of the town in California? San Sebastopol. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to tackle that one. <laughs> yeah. I tried twice and it just you know, wasn't working for it's me. It's funny because his Dave has been a longtime roundtable member and for some reason I never forget the name of the city he's in, probably because it's so distinctive. I mean, I know, you know, it just – it's just one of those things I totally have memorized. Yeah. So, well, so it's a great topic. Let's dive in. Dive away. All right. So today we have joining us Dave Leff, president and CEO of Leff Construction and Design Build, as we said, in San Sebastopol, California. Dave's been in roundtables for a long time, so we've gotten to be, you know, getting to know him a little, quite a bit and his team and so on. And he's at the enviable position of being ready to slow down his working in and on the business. So let's hear his story about what he's decided to do. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Mark. It's great one, to have you. One quick correction. The, the, the city that I'm living in is not San Sebastopol. It is Sebastopol. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, there's no sand. That's right. Holy moly. Well, got that. Ah. <laughs> so I had the wrong thing memorized. I don't know whose company that was I was thinking of. <laughs> well, hey, it's well, we're... to San Francisco. Yes, so yes. So we're still happy to have you, even though you're from Sebastopol. So, um, so Dave, you know, living the dream here, right? Getting ready to, to slow down in your company and move on. So... Tell us about, you know, sort of how this came to be and why did you first start thinking and when did you first start thinking about exiting your company? So it's a kind of an interesting story about, so we've been in business uh, and I started this company a little over 40 years ago. Wow. So it's been doing this for a long time, but about 20 years ago, I uh, had a remodeling job uh, working for uh, a guy named Michael Gerber. Oh my goodness. We remodeled Michael Gerber's house, and he uh, was had just written the, his book, The E Myth. He introduced me to the to the whole uh, concept of of the E Myth, and it was at that up, up to that point, I hadn't I hadn't really thought much about the end of my working life. But he introduced me to the concept of making uh, 
regardless of whatever your your intentions were at the end to make your company saleable. Mm-hmm. And, and they just talked to me about uh, and explained to me how that was possible. And, and it was at that point that I really first started thinking about the fact that at some point I was going to need to exit my company. I didn't know if I could sell it or not, but at least I was going to make it ready to sell in the event that I could. So before we get into talking specifically about what you explored, I'm, I'm dying of curiosity. Now, were you in roundtables when we had Michael Gerber come and speak at one of our summits? No. I, okay. I, well, I, I, perhaps I was, but I, I didn't hear him. Okay. He was excellent. You know, really resonates with so many entrepreneurs. So what were like the top three things that you felt you had to do in order to make your company and, and did to make your company sellable? So the, the main things that, that, that I did that, that I got from, from Michael was to, first of all, was to develop a set of systems and procedures for everything that we did. All, all employees, all functions, all, all of our operations became, we developed systems for and, and, and procedures for. So that was one of the main things. Um, the second thing was to develop, was to, to make myself, the other thing that the, the E-Myth talks about is, is making yourself completely uh, dispensable. And so, um, in other words, the company doesn't need you to function. And so that meant developing a level of middle management mm-hmm. and developing a, 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 some departments that I could de- delegate what I did to other people. And, and really the third thing was to was develop a sales team that was independent of me. So of, of those things that you held that you needed to divest from yourself, what was the last thing you gave up? So the last thing, it was sales. And we, we have in our company, our designers sell. But I still am involved in, in some sales uh little bit and it's mainly for people who have I have long time past clients that I have relationships with or or people that specifically ask for me but it's now a very small percentage of the sales functions that I handle so how long how many years did it take for you to completely get to the point where you are now from where you were it took quite a while it took over five years um, simply because we just we we looked at di- different ways of 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 uh, of having sales handled by other people. We looked at, at hiring salespeople who were strictly salespeople that that didn't have experience doing anything but sales. That didn't work for us. We um, we uh, looked at having some. Uh, we looked at well. We just looked at different options, and ultimately, we 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 arrived at what's worked for us, which is that our our designers sell. Okay, great. That's awesome. Okay, so you started thinking about this twenty years ago. Started putting those things into place. So, what are other things that you did to prepare for your exit? Well, so um, I I wasn't when I first started this. I wasn't really thinking about an exit. I was just thinking about making my life easier as a as a company owner, and 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 sharing the responsibilities among my department managers. But it was as I got older, and it's probably about um, five or six years ago, I, is when I really started thinking that 
maybe I can sell my company because at some point soon I'm going to, you know, I've done this for a long time and I'm going to need to move on and, and retire. And, and uh, that was the, the point at which I just started to explore the, the various options that were available to a, a small construction company. So tell us about some of those options. What did you uncover and how, you know, how did you even really get started? So the most obvious one that I think most people are familiar with, especially in, in a remodeler's advantage, is a generational transfer where a, a, a younger generation son or daughter takes over the company. And often they are, um, they've worked with the, with the parent owner for a while, often a long while, and, and they just uh, gradually move into ownership of the company. I didn't have a, I have two daughters, neither of whom were interested in uh, getting involved in, in a construction company. But I did uh, eventually, about uh, 10 years ago, have a son-in-law who um, was had a small construction company. And he came to work for me. Uh, and uh, the, it would seem to be perfect for me. I thought this guy can take over my company and keep it in the family and so on. Well, he decided he didn't want to work for his father-in-law uh, uh-huh. for a while. And, and so that, that, that didn't work. And, and I, so the, the next option that I considered was the possibility of selling to uh, someone in my company. Uh, a, a senior employee who would, who would be interested in, in purchasing the company. Um, I had a, I had at that time, I had a, a manager um, who I was talking to about the possibility of purchasing the company as a partnership with our, with our CFO, the two of them purchasing the company together. Um, that uh, ultimately just didn't work out. The, the relationship with the, between the two was one that, that wasn't going to work out and, and they weren't sure how they were going to be able to come up with the funds to purchase the company from me, uh, which that's typically the, right. the difficulty with selling to a, a, an employee within the company. Um, the, so then I looked at the possibility, well, maybe I do have a saleable company. Maybe I can sell to an outside buyer. So I retained a mergers and acquisition company uh-huh. to work with me to see if we could find a buyer. We put to get, we did a, a full valuation. We put together uh, a whole marketing plan and, and the uh, company was marketed to, um, to architects who may be interested in developing a building end of their business uh-huh. to um, larger uh, home builders yeah. that may be interested in developing a, a remodeling division a lot of all over the all over California, this was marketed, and we had nobody interested in purchasing. The really, and it turned out that that the the the, the, the people thought that the lo- the bar to entry for a remodeling company was so low that anyone could do it, and and there wasn't enough value in you know forty years of experience oh, in a st- being short sighted to make it worthwhile. Wow. So then we learned about ESOPs. Okay, now before and, you get into that, I want to ask you a question. As you were going these, through these iterations, and, and I've, I remember somebody a long time ago telling me that he was a founder of a large remodeling company in New York. And I remember him saying to me, that you have to start looking at least five years out because some things might not work out, like your son-in-law, right? 
you probably felt, dang, right up to the time that he said he didn't want to do it anymore. And then you're back at square one, right? That's right. So tell me a little bit about what was the progression of growth of your company through these different stages? Um, so we continued, I mean, our, one of, the, one of our, our core values is to be on the cutting edge of our industry. And, and so that was, that was something that we were, you know, regardless of what ultimately happened, um, I knew it was important to, uh, to, de- to have a company develop that would, whether I was still involved as the owner and CEO, uh, that would continue to, to be successful. And so I, I, we did not stop um, improving our systems, hiring, the, making sure that we had the right people on board, training our staff, all those things that, that we needed to continue to do to, to ensure the success of the company going forward. Hey, Mark here. You know, one of the first marketing books I ever read was the aptly named Marketing by Richard Sandhusen. Although it was pretty good in that it had some useful information, it was very technical. It was like trying to read the warning label that came with pain medication. I had to read some parts three or four times just to understand what he was trying to say. You shouldn't have to slog through a dry, term-laden textbook like I did to successfully market your business. So I wrote Lobster on a Cheese Plate. How to stand out, attract the best clients, and win every sale that comes your way. It's shipping December 8th, but if you pre-order today, you'll save 34%. To learn more, peek inside the book and watch the trailer, because of course I made a trailer, visit bethelobster.com. Now back to the show. So did your revenue grow dramatically? Like, for example, if I remember talking to one of the generational buyers, right, the son of the founder, he wanted to buy the company, but he'd been working as the main person in the company for about five, six, seven years, and he'd started to grow the company so much, but yet he didn't have any ownership. So then it became harder and harder for him to purchase, you know? So did that, did you find that was happening to you as well? We did. We did continue to grow the company, um, and we did see revenue growth. You know, each year. Um, I, that didn't. That wasn't really wasn't an issue. Um, I, I, it, I think that uh, I, I'd always. I always thought that most in in any case, I was going to be carrying back a note for the purchase of the company, regardless mm-hmm. of who of who bought it. So. Um, the the more company the the more cash the company had and the more the higher the revenue the easier it would be for them to to, to pay right, for that right okay okay so now you discovered ESOP how did you discover that and tell us a story on that so Irish Harrell who many of you know uh, quite a few years through Remodelers Advantage uh, initially but um, introduced me to the to the idea of an ESOP. She was a big fan of ESOPs. To, she had sold her company uh, to her employees through an ESOP. And uh, she invited me down and she and Ciro sat me down and they they sold me on ESOPs. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, this was actually quite a few years ago, way before we, uh, we we embarked on the process of developing our ESOP. 
And I thought, well, that's great. That sounds like a wonderful thing, but you know, you're a bigger company than we are. And it's, you know, I've had heard that ESOPs were very expensive and, and uh, you know, you have to be a very large company to, um, to make it worthwhile. So I, I sort of put it on the back burner, but stayed in touch and saw Iris through her process when, you know, she was able to leave her company and, and Ciro took over and, and, um, uh, so that's how it started. And, and, and uh, then um, our company continued to grow. Our, our revenue continued to grow. And we were, we had, we were had developing sufficient cash that it made, after I had had a lack of success in all these other approaches, it made sense to me to explore that again. And I, I learned about a, um, an institute that's associated with the, with UC system that, focuses on helping companies develop ESOPs. And I, I got involved with, they're called the Beister Institute. And I got involved uh, with them uh, and started to explore, and this was uh, maybe a year and a half ago, started to explore seriously an ESOP for my company. And, and it, we learned then that it would be possible. It's not as expensive as we thought. Hmm. You don't have to be quite as big a company to make it, uh, to make it, successful. Uh, and, and that's, that's really how it started. So it's interesting because, um, we had someone from the Beister Institute speak at one of our summits about ESOPs, which is an employee stock ownership program, right? Is that the correct P plan? Plan. Yeah. So, and it is in essence, if I recall correctly, it's, it's literally selling stock to all of the employees based on certain criteria and vesting and things like that. Is that correct? Well, it's actually a, an ESOP is like a 401k on steroids. It, what, what, it, what happens is that uh, the, the, um, the company is the shares of stock in the company are, are, are sold to uh, an ESOP, which is initially a trust. And so there is a trustee hired. Who, who manages that trust? Um, the shares of that, that. Once the sale is closed, the trust owns the shares of stock in the company, and as the uh, the the, the uh, sale, as as the loan is typically there's a, a loan involved. Whether it's an, in my case, I'm I'm carrying back the, the the note, the promissory note that is the loan for the sale of the ESOP. As that loan is repaid those shares of stock that are in the trust get distributed to all the employees based on, um, based on their, uh, their, the, the percentage that their, their wage is of the total payroll. So uh, they, each individual employee will have their own account of, of shares of stock in, in, the, in left construction design build. Um, and that it's it's just like a 401k. Those that's that stock is they can't access it. It's not convertible to money until they either retire uh, or, or or reach a certain age. So would that mean that if you hired somebody, let's say that you've had employees with you 20 years, and you hired a high-powered, I don't know, CFO for 120 grand, if his salary is a large percentage, he'd get just as much. I mean, there's no seniority involved. There's nothing. It's just purely their salary as a percentage of the whole. That's right. 
so then does the company pay you for the stock then? The, co- the what, It's sort of complicated, but the company gives the money to the trust. Yep. To pay me for the stock. Okay. And so I'm, I'm just getting monthly payments on the loan. It's mm-hmm. just like it's any loan, any loan that are, it's a fully amortized principal and interest um, that that uh, that the ESOP pays makes monthly payments for, and the the proceeds the the company takes cash and uh, and gives it to the ESOP to to pay me. Okay. Um, and and the main one of the main advantages of an ESOP are the tax advantages. Because the all since all of the shares of the of the of the stock in the company are owned by the trust, uh, there is no income tax for the company, and so we're an S sub S corporation. So typically, all of the revenue for the company would be passed through, and I would be personally paying taxes on it. Well, now I don't own any shares of stock anymore. It's all in the trust, and everything. The tr- everything that's in the trust is tax exempt. Wow! And as the uh, as the shares of stock are distributed to the employees, it's tax exempt the same way that a four hundred one k shares of stock in a four hundred one k are. So there's no taxes to anybody. So all of the the cash that was normally used to that I took as a draw to pay taxes, income tax for the revenue that the company made is no longer there. So that cash is now available for the use in the company uh, for other things. Dave, what's the rate of the, the stock distribution? It's not all one lump sum. So how does that no, work? It, it gets, as, as, the, as the loan is repaid, uh, it gets distributed. So okay. it, it depends, you know, the company can pay off the, the loan as, as quickly as they want, or they can you know, it's in my so, case, it's a ten a ten year note, mm-hmm. so it can take ten years, or they could pay it off in two years. So, so as an example, let's say it's it's ten ten million dollars, just sort of for a round number, and uh, the company's able to pay five hundred thousand of it this year. So f- that twenty percent of the shares are, or five uh, percent of the shares are issued. That's correct. Okay. So. Okay, so that answered one of my questions, how long the note was for. Could you give us a rough idea of a rough range of your revenue and how many employees you have? So we, um, we're, uh, depending on what's going, we've had a lot of fires around here. Oh, that's right. Uh, we've had fire rebuild projects. And those years that we have, uh, we're, we're doing a number of new homes our revenues go up, but we're we're typically between seven and ten million dollars in revenue, depending on how many new homes we're doing, and um, we have we have about thirty employees. Okay, could you give me share what you'd like, obviously, but um, would you give me a rough idea of what the investment is to do something like that? Because I heard it was like forty or fifty grand a year to keep up the paperwork and to keep up all the. Is that about right? Uh, well, we haven't had a year into it yet, but no, what I understand is that it's not that high. Okay. The, 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 there's a, the valuation is the most expensive 
uh, part of it that you have to do an annual valuation that determines the value of the individual shares of stock that the employees have in their accounts. Um, and that's, you know, in the 10 to $15,000 once a year range. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't know that, that there are other major expenses beyond that. But the, the, the point of it is that all of the, the tax savings more than offset those expenses. Right. So how did you approach your employees with this concept? Because I imagine the two employees you talked about before, they had sort of personality issues and they didn't want to work together to buy it together. I'm sure there are issues like that. Did anybody go, I don't want to be an owner with that person? I mean, how did you approach it? And what was their reaction? Well, first of all, I haven't shared it with the full company yet. Ah. But so my leadership I guess team, we should be keeping this secret for a while. Well, it, it'll be announced uh, in, a, in a few weeks to the rest of the full company after we close. But, um, yeah, we should probably not. <laughs> not do this until January. All those things but okay. in any case, um, so it was my, I worked with my leadership team developing this, and they've, they've been involved all the way through. And they've, all, they've been all very excited about it. I don't, it's, it's, there's absolutely no change in how the company is managed. So even though you're an employee, quote unquote, an employee owner, that you don't have any additional say over the functioning of the company beyond what your uh, current you know role is in the company. Um, it's really just a, uh, a share in the, in the, uh, because you own shares of stock in the company, you you then benefit from uh, any uh, you know any um, any growth in the company benefits you because it increases the value of your stock. But the, you know you don't have any any greater say in the operation of the company. So just to conclude that, Victoria, um, the uh, I don't it's typically a win-win because the employees get shares of stock and it doesn't cost them and they don't pay for them. Right. And uh, and there's really little reason why an employee would have a problem with becoming um, yeah. part of any stock. So so Dave, once the once this has gone through and the shares are are distributed and starting to be distributed over years. If you have a lead carpenter that decides to leave, he then has to sell. He can he can convert his shares to uh, just like a four hundred one k. There's a there's a whole procedure for how it's distributed once you leave. You can you take your shares if you quit, if you retire, or if you die. Um, just let, the, the, the last option is you have little use for them, but they go to your heirs, obviously. <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, if you quit, if you're a carpenter and you quit, and you have you have to, it takes a little while to get vested. So when we start this ESOP, any the it, you, your re, your retroactive years count, but it takes six years to become fully vested. So uh, an employee, if they actually work for six years and then quit they uh their shares are uh, they take their shares with them and they can be rolled over into another retirement account the oh. same way that you would with a with a, a 401k rollover oh wow okay that's pretty but they but they cannot be uh, until they retire they they don't have access to they can't be cashed without penalty hmm. so how are you, how are you feeling like how is your headspace as you 
make these decisions to release your ownership? I'm I'm really ready for this. Are you? I'm, it's been, as I said, it's, it's actually, this is our 43rd year. I've been doing this for a long time and I am ready to, uh, you know, to have a relaxing night's sleep and, um, and, uh, you know, be uh, less concerned about the livelihood of 30 employees. I bet that's a lot of responsibility, you know, but obviously you've done very well at it. Dave, that's, it's awesome. Congratulations to you on that. Very much. No, no, thank you. Um, so there's one thing. In order to exit this show, you have to go through the lightning round. So are you ready for that? Okay. <laughs> okay. And now, here's a Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. All right, here we go. 60 seconds on the clock. What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite books are, that, and we have, we've been using them a lot, is our Traction and Get a Grip about the, the EOS system. Um, that's, that's just recently done wonders for our, our company and our leadership team. This one should be interesting. If you weren't retiring, what would you be doing? <laughs> well, actually, before I started uh, this business, I was, uh, I was poised to go to law school. Really? I accepted to, to uh, law school, and, and I, uh, I ended up not going. And I, I never regretted it, but I still think that I would have liked to have been. I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, fun. What are you not very good at? Um... I'm not a detailed person. I, uh, it's difficult for me to focus on details. I'm a big picture person. So I've, it's important that I've had people around me that are in my company that are be able to focus on details. Your room, your desk, or your car, which to clean first? My room, clearly. My desk and my car are difficult to find space to even sit in. <laughs> Do you apply the five-second rule to dropped food? Uh, yeah, five seconds or even more. <laughs> Have you been told you look like someone famous? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Dave, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. I think people are going to find it really interesting. You know, just there are so many options in finding the right one. And this definitely seems like it's working for you. It is. And, and it's, I just think it's it. what I learned more than anything else. And you mentioned this before is how important it is to to uh, start as early as possible finishing. Yes. Yes. It's awesome. OK, now, before I let you go, though, I want you to share with our listening audience your five words of wisdom and why they resonate with you. So my five words are clear communication requires careful listening. And uh, what is why that what what makes that so important to me is the is is how critical it is in communication with with your employees, with your spouse, partner, loved ones, family, with everybody, how important it is to make sure that you are hearing and understanding what they say uh, and what they're, and what they're, what, what's, what the world looks like through their eyes as you're trying to communicate with them about something. Now, was that something you're, you've always been good at, or is that something that you had to learn? I have something I had to learn. It's something my wife uh, had a lot to do with teaching me. Um, (laughs) 
And, uh, but it's something in, you know, in business, I've just, I've learned that that's, you know, that's something that I learned from Sandler and other, other sources. That's great. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you so much for sharing this. I'm glad we caught you before you well, started to you. phase yeah. out here. And we're definitely going to miss you at roundtables and hopefully your leadership team will come back and join us one day. Yeah, well, yeah, we are, our production manager is, it's, it will continue to stay involved. Great. Thank you very much, Dave. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Bye. ESOPs. Yeah. You know, it's one of many options, but it's, you know, it seems like there are, I don't know very many companies that have ESOPs. I think three that I've run across ever. There, there, I mean, there's as, as interesting as it sounds, there definitely is that, that minimum threshold of, of size and employee count and, and that type of thing for it to work. Well, how many did he say he had? Um, I think he said he had, 27? 20-something, yeah. Yeah. seems like you need to be in the 20s at minimum. Mm -hmm. But, boy, I love those tax advantages. Holy mazzoli. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah. You know, because you can see, if you didn't have to pay all that money out in income tax, that's a lot of money the company has to run to pay off that loan faster. You know, and we didn't get to it during the the episode, but, you know, before we were recording, it was mentioning that one of the things he looked into was that co-op. Yes. And he said it just was – there's no tax benefits to it. But the thing that gave me the chevies was <laughs> – I know. Was that every single person gets a, a say in the operations. Everybody, it's like you, everybody's on the board. Yes, unlike in a an ESOP. Right. Yeah. So, you know, just the thought of that is like, yeesh. Now, the other thing that Dave mentioned when we were off off camera but off mic is was the fact that he does have an operating agreement to – or an agreement to stay with them – on a part-time basis uh, for the next several years to help transition right. the company. And I think that's probably a pretty common thing for most places, most small businesses that want to sell, which means that you got to be getting this in place two, three, five years before you want to stop working. Right. Yeah, it's – really, I mean, the t- time takes away. Before you know it, you start looking at this stuff, you're like 10 to 15 years before you can retire. So right. It's never too soon to start planning this stuff. No kidding. Yep, yep. And apparently he doesn't look like anyone famous, so he looks like the everyman. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. If you didn't know what Dave looked like, he looks like the everyman. Yep. A very a very uh, a, a well-dancing everyman. He used to dance with me at the summit one. Oh, uh, yeah? Okay. Which sounds fun. I miss that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, very good. We want to thank Dave for sharing these insights with us before he even shared it with his staff. (laughs) So by the time this airs, hopefully they know. And uh, we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I am Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next week. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the remodeler's guide to business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a beautiful day.